Hi, this is Kim Dixon, and welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation. So today is our 17th podcast, and so I'm really excited about that. There's lots of really good stories to tell. Today we're going to be talking about the war in North Africa, and when we think about World War II, we remember the battles in the Pacific and in Europe, but we seldom think about North Africa. In fact, I didn't know anything about the war in North Africa other than what I had learned in the movie Patton. If you remember, the movie opens with Patton taking control of the army after the Battle of Kasserine. This was the first test against the Germans for the American army, and it didn't go very well. Our troops were inexperienced and mostly untrained, but Patton was about to take care of all of that. So just a side note, you might have noticed that I've referenced World War II movies in my podcast and on my blog. That's because my dad, Don Skeen, a proud Navy vet, used to load my sister and I up in the car in our jammies and take us to see every World War II movie there was. And in fact, when I got to seventh grade, instead of taking Spanish like the rest of my friends, I chose to take German so that I could translate the dialogue in the war movies, but it didn't work out. So back to North Africa. Before World War II started, European powers held positions in the region, and Algeria was a colony of France, and Libya was a colony of Italy, and France and Britain were both heavily influencing Egypt where the Suez Canal was, and this was a strategic point for both the Axis and the Allies during the war. So Italy joined the Axis with Japan and Germany, and five days after Germany invaded France on June 10, 1940, Italy declared war on both Britain and France. Mussolini decided that he wanted to invade someone as well, and so in September of 1940, the Italians advanced from Libya into Egypt with five divisions headed for the Suez Canal. Britain was able to force the Italians out of Egypt and back into Libya. They were also able to take over the important Libyan port of Tobruk. Hitler decided that the Italians were in trouble, sent Erwin Rommel and his Africa Corps to help. On February 14, 1941, Rommel and the 5th Panzer Division arrived, and in May they were joined by the 15th Panzer Division. This is really a simplified explanation of this battle, which went back and forth between the Germans and the British and the Italians over the same ground for the next eight months. Finally, in 1942, the United States would enter this battle in North Africa in what they called Operation Torch. This would be the first time the United States would put troops on the ground in Europe and against Axis forces. The battles will go on from November 8, 1942 until May 13, 1943, when the Axis surrendered unconditionally. It's estimated that 150,000 German and Italian soldiers were captured. This was a crucial training experience for what would become the invasion of mainland Europe called Operation Overlord. So today our story is about Lieutenant Robert Simpson Blakely. He was born on August 29, 1915 to Margaret and Artie Simpson Blakely. Their home was located at 531 16th Street. He graduated from Ogden High School and attended Weber College. He was accepted into the CCA training through Weber College, and those qualifications were that the applicant had completed at least one year of college and is enrolled for one more, Also eligible are those students with two years of college anywhere, whether they are now enrolled or not. These students upon graduation will receive their pilot's license, and if they wish to go on, they can be promoted to co-pilot schools 
or given credit for Army or Navy training, whichever they preferred. So we got this information from Weber College's newspaper, The Signpost, on January 30th, 1941. So Lieutenant Barkley had his pilot's license 11 months before the Pearl Harbor attack. There was an article on December 27, 1942 in the Ogden Standard Examiner, word that Lieutenant Robert S. Blakely, husband of Mrs. Leah Geddes Blakely, and son of Mr. and Mrs. Matthew Blakely, arrived safely in October in Africa. The article goes on, Lieutenant Blakely has been in the Libyan desert fighting. He was one of seven men selected to train the recruits in combat service. He is a graduate of Weber College and of the Utah State Agricultural College in Forestry. He was employed with the U.S. engineers prior to his enlistment in the Air Corps last January. He took his training at Luke Field near Phoenix, Arizona. He and his wife, daughter of Mrs. Annie Geddes of Plain City, were married on July 31st. She is employed in the personal office at Hillfield. He is going to be assigned to the 57th Fighter Group. And online, the 57th Fighter Group has a, a wonderful website with a lot of information. And the following story is told by his niece and nephew. Bob was born in Ogden, Utah on August 29, 1915 to Matthew and Artie Blakely. Bob enjoyed hunting and fishing in the Wasatch Mountains that formed the backdrop of their home. It was while exploring these mountains that he developed his love of forestry, a field that he hoped to make his career in. Bob graduated from Ogden High School, Weber College, and Utah State with a degree in forestry. Following the December 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor, Bob's sense of duty compelled him to enter the fray and he joined the United States Army on January 12, 1942. Following his basic training, Bob was sent to Luke Field in Phoenix, Arizona as an aviation cadet pilot and following the student pilot training was approved to transfer to the Air Corps fighter pilot training on May 29, 1942. He completed the initial training in July of 1942 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. While on furlough, he married Leah Geddes on July 31, 1942 in the Logan LDS Temple. Immediately following their wedding, Bob was transferred to Del Mabryfield, Tallahassee, Florida, and in September to Sarasota Army Base, Sarasota, Florida. At Dell Mabry, he received extensive training in aerial combat in a P-40 Warhawk. This would be the warplane that he would fly in battle. His wife Leah was by his side until he was transferred overseas in early October. Bob was assigned to the 57th Fighter Group as one of the first group of replacement pilots since their arrival in July of 1942. He joined the 65th Fighter Squadron on November 12, 1942, in Gambit, Libya. Continuing with their story, on April 18th, Bob participated in one of the greatest aerial battles of World War II, called the Palm Sunday Massacre, and also known as the Cape Bond Massacre. We do know that Bob received the Air Medal given to airmen who had flown at least 50 missions of an hour or more. So in their story, they continue. The following excerpts are provided to give you some idea of what life was like while serving in the North African desert. The importance of the African campaign was summarized by Master Sergeant Bill Hahn. If we were not able to overcome the Nazi drive to the Suez Canal, and should the canal have fallen and the Germans captured the oil fields in the Middle East, we would have never been able to defeat this enemy. He continued that life in the desert consisted of fighting flies, heat, dust, 
disease, maggots, bloated bodies, and lack of water. Ed Ellington, another member of the 65th Squadron, wrote, It is really a miracle that so many of us live to come home. The uncounted episodes regarding the way we built heaters using 100 octane fuel in a number 10 can filled with sand to heat food or coffee, washing clothes in 100 octane and hanging them out to dry. We were young and daring and desperate. We did it all and lived to tell about it. The days we ate from our mess kits, sand blew so hard a crust would form over our food and we had to tunnel through the crust just to get to the food. So again, the story continues. The morning of April 18, 1943, which was Palm Sunday, dawned uneventfully over the desert. By this time, the 57th had moved its operations westward from Gambit, Libya, to LDM, Tunisia. Early in the morning, the 57th flew a reconnaissance mission over the Mediterranean and saw nothing. Later, the English and South Africans took their turn and again reported no contact. At 5 p.m., a final patrol by the 57th, consisting of the 64th, 65th, and 66th squadrons, left LDM. Bob was one of 12 members of the 65th to fly on that day. Their orders were to pick up Spitfire cover to be provided to the 244th Ring of the Royal Air Force, proceed to the Gulf of Tunis, and patrol easterly and westerly off Cape Bon. Return when your gas supply dictates. The squadron climbed and leveled off at 16,000 feet and continued patrolling, flying first to the east and then back to the west. No enemy was sighted. As daylight turned to dusk and their gas ran low, they executed their final turn to go back to the base when someone spotted a large armada of aircraft. They were flying barely a thousand feet off the surface of the water, and the armada was composed of JU-52s, a large German motor transport, and 109 and 110 Messerschmitts flying cover. The Germans were flying supplies and reinforcements into North Africa, and after sizing up the situation, the commander gave an order to attack. One of the squadron leaders somewhere in the formation said, Stay in pairs, boys. There was a high-pitched howl as the first of four Warhawks split into pairs and went down into a sweeping turn to the right. The second pair followed. The German fighters turning into the attack from all directions came to the Warhawks. The Palm Sunday Massacre was on. Continuing into their story, what happened next was a fierce, wild battle, too confusing and too lengthy and too complex for this treatise to describe. Ten minutes after the first shot was fired, the air over the Gulf of Tunis was clear. The Palm Sunday Massacre was over as quickly as it had begun. During that ten-minute battle, the 57th and their air cover of Spitfires destroyed 59 JU-52s, 14 109s, and two 110 Messerschmitts. In addition, one JU-53 and one Messerschmitt were listed as probably destroyed. 17 JU-53s, 9 109s, and two 110s were damaged. The pilots who participated in the battle refers to it as the goose shoot. At some time during that 10-minute period, Bob's P-40 was hit by enemy fire and plunged toward the Mediterranean. The following is the only known account of what happened next. One Warhawk pilot, believed to be Lieutenant Blakely of the 65th Squadron, bailed out at map coordinate K6885, and his aircraft hit the water at coordinate K6284. A pilot, possibly Lieutenant Blakely, was seen swimming in the water, sky conditions overcast, visibility poor. 
In addition, there were five other pilots from the 57th who were listed as missing in action. Air and ground searches were conducted during the months of June, July, and October, but no evidence was found which would aid in locating and recovering the remains of Lieutenant Blakely. The coastal area has been searched for isolated burial and sites of crashed planes with negative results. Little did Bob realize that he had participated in what would become known as one of the greatest aerial battles of World War II. That destruction of supply planes broke the back of the Germans in North Africa, and they surrendered 25 days later. Bob was listed as missing in action and then declared killed in action the next day on April 19, 1943. He was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart, which was presented to his wife Leah. He is officially listed as buried at sea on the tablets of the missing in North Africa at the American Cemetery in Tunisia. As a modest man, Bob would be embarrassed by this. He would say that he is just doing his job, but to us, he is a hero. And what a great tribute that is by his niece and nephew, Charles G. Summers and Marilyn S. Diamond. On April 29th of 1943, the Standard Examiner reported that Robert S. Blakely, U.S. Air Force, was reported missing in action on April 18th during a battle in North Africa, according to a telegram received today. Lieutenant Blakely was serving under General Bernard L. Montgomery. He went to Africa in early October. Lieutenant Blakely's name is also recorded on the Place of Remembrance in the Ogden Cemetery at the very east end. So there's the story of another one of our boys, a pilot killed in action. Unfortunately, there will be many more stories like this as we had a lot of pilots from Weber County who were killed in the war. So thanks for joining. Be sure and come back next week. As always, the podcast is on my Facebook page, Weber County's Greatest Generation, or available on iTunes. Thank you.